open the door at some point yeah yeah i just leave the door okay we're live all right we are live <laughs> one of the things that i always get so excited of is when i actually do it correctly so i always give thanks and rejoice when the internet works with me and i so can I verify that it's working on my facebook internet over here in ohio so I'm, i mean facebook it's basically internet. like national now like it's happening all right everyone welcome to friday night feels we have an amazing night plan for you um i have some incredible guests who i'm so honored and thankful for that they have come to join me tonight in friday night feels and i'm going to be introducing them briefly and then if they want to enter you know add anything to who they are and and any part of their introduction they know that they're welcome panelists so they can do whatever they want We've already, we've already talked about the things that we're not supposed to talk about, which means we're definitely going to be talking about it, especially, you know, with the LGBTIA, you know, and spirituality. You know, most of us grew up of what to say, what not to say. Uh, we were having a brief conversation before we started of our own experiences personally and professionally. But one of the things that I wanted to have this conversation was, is one to have an, an amazing gathering with amazing people who you know have joined me tonight and also all of you who are watching and will be watching to talk about these issues that affect so many of us and bringing light to it and focusing on advocacy and opening the doors to really important conversations and issues that are affecting all of us in numerous ways. So I'm going to go around and introduce our panelists and I already gave them permission that they can throw something at me if I mispronounce their name. <laughs> yes, Jamie, I know you're very good at that because I was part of that game last night. <laughs> so we have uh, Chuck Burnson. Did I yeah, perfectly. <laughs> right out of that. You oh knew you were ready. <laughs> so right. Get it out of the way. <laughs> Roshani Chabra. You got it. Oh my God. Yay. Okay. Dr. Jaime <laughs> Merich from Ohio. I was about to, I was going to try to say good evening in Spanish and Croatian just comes out. Dobro večer. Uh, do it. Let's do it. We're multilinguals here. Buenas noches a todos. And Lisa Hayes. Hello. Hi. Welcome all. Now, before we get going, did any of you want to add anything like who you are, where you're from, any, or do we want to just roll with it? Yeah, we have, we're from all over the country here. So why don't yeah. people say where they're from? I'm from Northern New York, representing. Okay. And I'm here in Northeast Ohio, Youngstown area. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I'm in Chicago. Ooh. I'm in Long Beach, California. Ooh, we are representing like... Totally, this is amazing. And if you're joining us live, because it looks like quite a few people are, drop in the comments where you're joining us from. That'd be fun. Yes. And so, as Jamie may have alluded, sometimes on Friday Night Feels, I include a little game. So I thought we would start with a few rounds of a little game that I found. And I tried to make it as diverse as possible, but time was against me. <laughs> so what I found was some holiday trivia. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm going to do is post a question and whoever can answer it fast wins the point. And if anyone who's watching wants to, it, Jamie, you're better at watching the comments than I am. Would you mind well, if I'm anyone? Not, okay. Thank you. All right. So some of them are a little tricky. So giddy up. It's Friday Night Feels. All right. The first question is in the song, Frosty the Snowman, what made Frosty come to life? You know, my head just went to a dirty place. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I can I can be bought on these responses, yeah, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> was it magic? I had to sing the song. Like, must it have was... been the magic in that old top hat they found. Magic? Oh, Lisa, you finished it. It was the old silk hat. So that point goes to Lisa. Don't know what we're getting points for. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that there is a prize. So don't Yay! worry, trust me. Yeah, I, yes, I, I had spiritual inspiration for this. So there's a divine reason. All right, question number two. This is intense. 
What Christmas decoration was originally made from strands of silver? Garland? Tinsel? Roshni, yes. Tinsel. Oh, yes. I'm like, isn't it still that? Is there still <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what you peasants are using for there... your thing, but I'm still using <laughs> Listen, the dollar store is oh, quality 100%. Silver. Ah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> silver. Wow, that was some expensive tinsel. I mean, yeah, really. we go way back. All right, so we've got one in one. All right. Ready for the next one? What does the word Hanukkah mean? Uh, sorry. What does it mean? Yes. I, is Mars? I hear Mars. Mars observing. Shabbat. Oh, she's. Yeah. Oh. Someone send her a text. Like she'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> she'll get it tomorrow night and answer. Yeah, it right. Um. That I. You want? I would like to go through the story. We could find a word that's similar. I got nothing for you. Lighting. Does it have Patrick, some, the number eight with lighting the night. The number eight. Are you say, just throwing it, words out? Who is extremely relevant, Patrick? <laughs> I think it means presents. I think it stands okay. for presents, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, eight days of presents. Dedication <laughs> was the word according to the internet, but I think you all put forth an effort, which I honor and value. So you all, I'll give you all a point. Yeah. Give us four dings. Uh, winning. Hashtag winning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> per a recent holiday fad, what quote unquote spy hides around the house reporting back to Santa Please on who has it. been naughty and who has been <laughs> nice? Elf on the shelf. Yeah. Ooh, Lisa, it's another point. Chuck knew. Chuck knew. I did. I did. I was oh, like, Chuck, all right, I'll give it to I both just, of I just you. was ready for Lisa to go. I the part of the reason I would have known so quickly is today on one of the like mutual aid groups I'm a part of, someone posted elf on a shelf, like mini masks. Oh. Take home for your elf on a shelf. Oh, that's aggressive. You know that the elves on the shelf have to be in quarantine now? They have to they had to come early according to my parent friends, and they had to like mm set it up so that could be jamie that could be a whole um you know level of trauma for icm to explore uh, of how to deal with trauma <laughs> elf on the shelf of the panic of did the magic work don't touch it all right so we are doing well constantly monitored just just did it work so well, I am, just because I know and love you, Jamie, I will give you free range for this to be vulgar if you need it to be. What Christmas beverage oh, is also known as milk punch? Eggnog. Wow. Yep. Sorry, maybe my, my mind went to a not appropriate. Sorry. Well, my you know, so you get a point. Does. I had to filter but, all that. Yeah. It's funny, whenever I go to load these up to, to YouTube, they're like, is this appropriate for children? No. No, it is not. <laughs> My really good friend Christina Dine is joining us. Blaze is here too. And Christina said she quarantined the kids' elves. Oh, okay. So she yes. verified that, yes. Safety first. Hi, Blaze. Mm -hmm. um, I'll save some of these questions for him. Okay. One of Santa's reindeer shares a name with a famous symbol of Valentine's Day. Which reindeer is that? Cupid. Cupid. Oh. Ooh, Lisa, go Thanks. for you. Point. She gets a ding. Okay. What Christmas-themed ballet performed in St. Petersburg, Russia in 1892? Nutcracker? Yes. The only Christmas themed ballet. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's the only one I've got, but <laughs> you know, I I had never seen that until I was an adult. It's pretty, it's pretty beautiful story. It it was it was really nice. <laughs> All right, Lisa's we might have to channel Mara for this one again because she's uh -oh. with me in spirit. Okay, who was the first U.S. president to celebrate Hanukkah at the White House? That's a good question. Hmm. That sounds very Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Is that mm. your final answer? I'm going to go and say that's not the answer, according to Patrick. <laughs> yeah, the My nonverbal communication is very <laughs> alive and well tonight. <laughs> Uh, Biden. I just want to <laughs> hug you right now for that response because I was like, I could, that will be happening. Like, yes. It was impactful. 
clearly <laughs> it stuck with us. <laughs> um, the first president, U.S. president, was Harry Truman. Interesting, Never right? in my life. Roosevelt, I was warm. Okay. But you know what? It's the holiday season, so everyone gets a point. Jamie, if you could ring the bell four times. <laughs> Who's keeping track of these points? points don't mean anything. It's all about... <laughs> I you think Lisa's what? winning. <laughs> That's all I know. Please well, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you about a traumatic thing growing up with being the youngest of six kids, because one of my dear brothers was very competitive, and he would sing a song when he beat me in something. Okay. So, oh yeah, it was, I won, I won, I won, I won, I won. <laughs> I'm the very best. I can beat the rest and Pat's a losing bum. Oh, there's <laughs> He would say, it was quite yeah. clever. So that was funny. Okay. What language is the word Kwanzaa from? Swahili. <gasps> Good one, Jamie. You get a bell. Quick draw. And a point. Belling myself. Okay. In the early 1800s. <laughs> On camera. <laughs> ringing my own bell. Turn off ring your video, man. Just... <laughs> ring my oh, bell. Yeah, my bell. Ring my Patrick, bell. is this game your way of us avoiding talking about the dark stuff? <laughs> Jamie, will you have a leap of faith, please? There's a reason okay. to my mindness. We're getting somewhere. We're okay. going. We're in, heading in a direction. I'm just messing with you. Okay, let me go to another one. That's actually. Where's one of my other good ones? All right, we'll do this last one, and then we'll jump in. In the TV special, "How the Grinch Stole Christmas." What three words best describe the Grinch? Stink, stink, stunk. Stink, stink, stunk. Yes. Nice. So the prize for everyone will be if you can let me know one of your favorite charities that you work with. And there will be a donation made to them in the month of December. And what I'll do in my social media is post information about that charity to help spread the awareness of what you all advocate for and support with. Love it. So if you yes, want to share you. with me now your charity, or you can just email me, but that way it's kind of paying it forward with the holiday season. Nice surprise I've ever won. Oh, <laughs> yay. Well, I think in keeping with our theme tonight, I'd like to earmark Project Trevor, please. Or okay. try so one of the things I you know and thank you for playing the holiday version of trivia you were all amazing <laughs> and one of the reasons that I did that is when sometimes when you get ready for doing something like this especially with me with Friday Night Feels is sometimes my mind goes into an anxious place and with work and stress and the holidays and COVID and everything sometimes that anxiety can really take over. And I noticed that I wasn't getting excited. And I always get excited usually for Friday night feels, especially if you're a gathering. And I, I had to actually tie into my own spirituality and my mindfulness of what was wrong. And I wasn't listening to my own heart about what the purpose of this was. So being able to bring in some fun is what I feel spirituality in that might sound strange to some people, but having fun and joy is part of spirituality for me. And I just thought it would be fun at the end of a crazy week, everyone, you know, is going through a lot and, you know, dealing with everything, but being able to open the doors of things that like Jamie was saying, there is the bright side, there's the dark side of spirituality. And I think we've all experienced those. And being able to have that with sort of that, that introduction with some joy and fun and, and laughter. I think I needed that. Yeah. And, you know, so one of the questions that I, I was thinking of as we were pairing it is, you know, what is spirituality? And I was just wondering how you all define it in your practices and in, in your, your worlds. I, I mean, we can just go around and whoever wants to share like, how do you define spirituality? Mm. 
Did you say something, Jamie? <laughs> no one wants to go first. And that's <laughs> how I deal with anxiety and awkward silence. I volunteer to go first. So, well, Patrick, uh, there, there's a definition I learned in recovery that is a bit cheesy, but it actually really applies to me that uh, religion is for people who want to stay out of hell and spirituality is for people who have been there. And although I don't think that's a complete definition for me, because I'm still learning what spirituality is like every year of my life the the journey reveals more and more to me and i think it's just fundamentally that the thing about being connected with with something that's greater than myself whether it is the universe uh or the divine because i do have a, a divine connection my spirituality but i've learned that that divine lives within me and it's also a connection to others like playing this game with all of you tonight was a spiritual experience for me and I, I think, again, what makes it spiritual is that as opposed to religious is so much of religion is about law and order and following rules and rituals. And I don't think that's all bad either if religion helps you find spiritual connection. But I think for a lot of people, and at least, at least this is how I was raised, religion was about law and order and avoiding hell. And there wasn't a shred of spiritual connection that was really fostered. Yeah, I love that, Jamie. I think that's exactly where I was heading. Uh, very similarly, just sort of, right. I think spirituality for me is, is connecting to the universe through connecting with myself and also connecting with, with the people around me and, and seeing that, um, right. That holiness in the people around me. Yeah, those are great answers. I think my answer is, is almost the absence of an answer. I was raised in a tradition that really sought like absolute definitions for things. And so I think some of what I experiment with spirituality is not, is not knowing, you know, and I think not knowing um, can feel radical to me, you know, growing up in a culture that really insisted on a single truth and just kind of pushing into space and thinking, I don't know, maybe this is it, or maybe that's it. And can I just experience things without needing them to to be a part of some larger algorithm you know about about where I'm going or what what the world you know needs for me to be doing or what I'm supposed to be doing that's beautiful I like that good point <clears throat> yeah I think for me religion is more kind of institutionalized and connected through folks and a bit more um structured I would say most of the time spirituality to me just kind of is more personal it feels like this is my practice this is about me you know um, I'd read that the one true partner that you have in your life is your body and it's true you know it's like you got to take care of yourself first and part of that is getting in touch with who you are in whatever way that means to you so for me I grew up um, being exposed to a lot of different religions and also developing a spirituality practice at about three, um, learning to meditate. And so it's always been kind of woven in like different aspects of it. So to me, it's been more of something that's like uh, the constant or the foundation of the things I do and you know what informs that. So, and family, culture, and traditions, obviously. Really beautiful. <clears throat> Sorry, someone just said, let me just check. Jamie, are, are we live yeah, to no, the Facebook? We're live. It was an issue with the co-hosting. Oh, okay. Okay, okay sorry. We need a definition someone shared in the comments, uh, connection and relationship to something greater than me. Mm, that's really beautiful. And, you know, looking at all these amazing definitions, which are, I feel, constantly evolving, I kind of want to connect it to the LGBT community. And I feel like that's, you know, spirituality, we could talk for days and days, um, you know, and I think with the LGBT community as well of, of what our experiences are. I mean, I, I think before we started, I shared where when I grew up, it was, it was kind of like that similar to Jamie's where it was like, if you, you are part of the LGBT community, you're pretty much living in sin you're, you're dangerous and you're, you're condemned to hell, which is such a terrifying thing to grow up with. And, and having that conflict of 
how how do I believe in someone who's supposed to love me unconditionally, but with conditions? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I love you as long as <laughs> you, but then you know it's all of those mind games of like, but if I'm made in this creator's image, don't they kind of know what they're doing? <laughs> Like, I don't know if any what your thoughts are, but that that were just some of my my thoughts of it just really there's been so much damage in the name of religion and the name of spirituality in my experiences and harshness and abuse when I was searching love in companion in not companionship, compassion. And I, I'm just wondering what your experiences have been like that, either personally or professionally or both. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I hadn't even thought about it from a professional standpoint because I think I find that religion operates, and maybe I mean religion and spirituality in that same moment, which aren't always the same, but I think professionally, um, I often find that I'm just like guarding myself around it because I find that it's pretty weaponized when it comes up um, in professional spaces in my experience and so sometimes I'm just kind of like guarding for it and just trying to like navigate like what of that is mine and you know what do I have to take but um, you know I think personally I'm interested Patrick because I was also raised Catholic we were raised pretty you know that was like the thing that was that was the only probably consistent mm -hmm or reliable thing um, in my life growing up. It was the safest space in some ways. It was temperature controlled, it's clean, it was predictable. Do you know what I mean? It had all of these things that I think really hold value mm -hmm. around ritual um, and why that felt comforting, I, I think to my mother whose life was fairly chaotic. Um, but really I grew up in a very poor church. And so the focus was never on self. Do you know what I mean? In lots of ways, it was mm -hmm. always about service and other people. And so I can't remember growing up feeling very attacked, right, for who I am, but I also can't remember feeling very encouraged to understand who I am. And so creating wow. identity outside of serving, right, in this way um, was in and of itself a journey. It's just like, who am I and do, does my existence matter outside of my capacity to serve um, mm -hmm. someone? And so I, wow. I think sometimes when I hear folks have received those really harsh messages. It's almost like he just didn't exist in the church that I grew up in. Like it was, the struggle was was kind of on the top of, of all of the things that we did as a community. And so it almost, um, it's almost like it didn't exist. And I have that experience still where, um, you know, we grew up in the church in that way. And so my older sibling still has some relationships with people <clears throat> from our religious community. And, um, and it's interesting, like I still don't exist there. You know, like who I am actually doesn't ever exist. It's, it's very much kind of like what my function was in that space. And it really is stunted in that way. And so um, it's almost like it happened, but it wasn't about me, you know? And so I think it's, it's so interesting mm -hmm. to hear these other versions of that. Yeah, I can echo some of that invisibility more in um, Indian culture, East Indian culture. Um, I grew up with Hinduism um, for my mom's side. They were, you know, pretty traditional. And um, I think when you think about Hinduism from the Western view, it seems very permissive, mm -hmm. but in fact, it's not quite that way. Mm -hmm. um, so on my dad's side, he was a, a large civil rights movement and specifically uh, queer folks leading that. So there's been a lot of good change. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely resonate with that uh, feeling of invisibility for sure. Mm -hmm. That's really profound. So I'll go. Uh, I grew up half Catholic, half evangelical. It's a thing. My parents were married Catholic and then my dad converted when I was about four. And again, he was searching for something that he felt he wasn't getting in the Catholic church. And it was the classic story of he was in a down and out place in his life, battling a lot of his own stuff and a late night televangelist converted him. And from that moment, our life became quite a living hell because my mom's a devout Catholic and her faith means a lot to her. I, I've often teased her and she knows I say this, that she worships the gospel of what people think. So that's been a big thing that I've had to overcome in a lot of my recovery. 
but Patrick, what you said about the conditional love thing totally nailed it on the head because so much of the theology that I was mixed message with was God loves you no matter what. God's loved you so much. He sent his son Jesus to die for you and you get, you get saved and then you're safe forever, but you can lose it if xyz and i was very much spoon-fed this teaching about homosexuality queerness gender nonconformity is an abomination like that wow. word was regularly used wow. home and i knew probably from as young as about nine definitely 11 that i was attracted to all genders and i wouldn't even have dared uttered that or tried to talk about it in in that home it was just push it down push it down and i had a real moment when i was in college in the dorms at 19 and i had already started questioning religion that i was raised with because i was being exposed to people of so many other faith traditions in my university setting and i was literally met with this lightning bolt of these folks are not bad at all because so much of what dad had raised me to believe was like oh, Hindus are bad and Buddhists are bad and they're not anything that yeah anything <laughs> not of Jesus is, is bad and it's like yeah and these people are a lot nicer than you so <laughs> and I was in the dorm at 19 and I had this moment of knowing as clear as a bell both what I was in terms of my worldview, like the coexist symbol is basically who I am. And I knew, cause I had really been exposed to that term bisexual and learned about at least the basis of what it was. And it's like, yeah, that's me. But I knew in that moment, if I were to come out and actually explore it, I would lose everything I ever knew, mm -hmm. which was my family connection. And eventually I was okay with losing it because mm -hmm living a lie was no longer serving me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I just, I, so, so much of what I've struggled with is a lot of those what ifs over, like, I feel I've wasted a lot of years being kind of half in half out, you know, so much more I can say, but I'll let Chuck answer the question. <laughs> I want to hear all the things. Yeah. You know, I, I feel deeply privileged in the, the ways that I experienced religion and, and spirituality as a kid. I, I'm Jewish and uh, my family practice uh, Reconstructionism, Reconstructionist Judaism. Um, it's a newer U.S.-based movement, but it is uh, entirely based on the idea that that we have to be constantly reinterpreting and discussing and arguing the texts of of you know, the sacred texts, right? Um, that's a you know the the arguing and the the dissecting is really common throughout you know, the span of Judaism. And that's something that I think uh, has really influenced the way that I relate to other people and to, to uh, learning and to exploring my own identities. I also, you know, had the deep privilege of having a second home growing up. My first experience of chosen family as an Indian household and, and being um, immersed in Hinduism and being able to experience, uh, you know, I think the the Judaism I was raised in sort of in some ways, I think similar to what Lisa was expressing was was relational, was about, um, you know, repairing the world, was about serving others, was about um, celebrating and, and grieving in community. And I learned such deep lessons from that um, to have a second home to go to, you know, a few nights a week that was that was really about the relationship to self and the relationship to universe and to nature, I think, uh, allowed me room for a lot of nuance and a lot of, of, of spaces where, um, you know, I, I didn't come out until I was an adult, but I, it wasn't because it was almost the opposite experience. I, I think I, is common for a lot of queer people. It was, it was almost that, that I was assumed to be queer from so young and it was so accepted that I was like, no, I'm just a different kind of a girl, right? I was just, I was like, can it be that I just love my brother's gym shorts and playing games with boys. Like, you know, just that I think I was very defiant to the idea that I was queer, that I was trans. Um, and yeah, I think that that I, especially and my partner was raised Catholic and seeing her experience of, of her connection to her, 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 you know, her own body and to, to other people's bodies and to relationships. It really, I've, I've learned um, just, yeah, how deeply privileged I was in that experience. That's really amazing. I love that second home too. I, mm -hmm. I, I had a second, well, it was, I didn't consider it a second home, but you know, 
growing up in a small area, like everyone was the same. So like diversity wasn't even talked about until I was in high school and I became friends with an international student from Taiwan who grew up in the Dominican Republic who was living with a Greek family in my city. <laughs> so we would go over there and all of a sudden like baklava and spenikopada, like all of a sudden my mom didn't know what to do with that, but it, it started. <laughs> I think for my family at that time, you know, I, I watched this movie and I talked about it, I think in Jamie and our conversation of Prayers for Bobby. And it's a really beautiful movie if you ever have a chance and Sigourney Weaver plays the mom, but there's this one line where she talks about her son, Bobby, who ends, you know, commits suicide for being gay. And she said, I knew he was different since the moment of conception. Mm. And to me, it always like tears me up of just like there, because there's something special there. There's something different. There's something unique. There's something. And I think one of the, the components that I think about with spirituality was, and, and being in the LGBT community was, uh, from my experiences of really shutting down, like I, I can't remember someone said, you know, like living a lie. It's like, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't about living a lie. It was about um, survival because there was just so much fear. I remember growing up, I think it was in the 90s when I heard the story of Matthew Shepard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, and I just thought, you know, even I think at one point, Jamie, I said this to you a couple months ago, I was like, this is like, that fear is still there. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know we joked about like not talking about politics, but the last four years, that fear has been there every day yes. of just, you know, all of the people who are still murdered and attacked and violated and vicious. And when, I think when we talk about the coming out process or however we want to do it, it's, it's not just like coming out and singing Diana Ross and having a party. It really is that grief of, I'm not going to be who my parents thought I was going to be. And I'm, once I come out, there's an element, at least in my experiences, spiritually and physically and mentally of my safety is going to be something I have to constantly think about. And maybe as a, as a white man, that is something I could hide. That would be my privilege um, that other people can't hide as easily, you know, whatever it might be, you know, it, you know, when it just goes through your mind and you're processing it, but definitely that fear of just like, if you holds your hand with a partner or you happen to like Madonna or, you know, whatever the signs may be, you, your life is on the line. And I think, I don't know about your experiences, but the last four years, my spirituality has been the saving grace to help me through one of the darkest times in my country where I've never been so scared. <sighs> Yeah, and even talking about it, it's just like, because once you put it out there, it can't go back. It's like, can't put the genie back in the bottle, but it's been. Yeah, and yeah, and there's a lot there. And, and what it's really brought up for me is I was raised, especially on the evangelical side, with some very extreme rhetoric. All of this material out there about conspiracy theories that are concerning a lot of us. It's like, yeah, I, I, I grew up with all of this. I can tell you the next line that, that are coming out of these folks' mouths. I think what's affected me the most is how to see how people, because hmm. as part of my healing and recover, I came to frame a lot of what I was raised with as rather radical. And now it's like, oh gosh, it's not, it doesn't seem so radical. Like more people are embracing it. And that I think that heartbreak of seeing people embrace and defend, especially the hatred, or I think what, what bothers me the most is when people say things like, well, what, what you do in your private life is your business. Don't just wave it in our faces. And like what, what that's really saying is we don't see you, honor you. We don't think you deserve to take up space exactly as you are. And I, you know, Patrick, whenever you cite that line from the movie, I just think about that scripture that I knitted you in your mother's womb. You are perfectly and wonderfully made. I believe it's from Psalms, but don't quote me. And Yes, that's the God that I have come to know in recovery and in growth 
it's it's the god that nourishes me and doesn't deplete me and when i see again so much about the last four years has bothered me we could probably do a whole episode on that maybe an inauguration special uh yet i i just uh continuing to see people do so much of this in the name of god not only is that the very definition of spiritual abuse but personally that's what hurts me the most Yeah, to think that you would be a mistake when, you know, all you're trying to do, especially all of us uh, on this conversation tonight, we're in the helper's field. We have dedicated our lives to helping other people in whatever way we can as advocates, as, as educators, as therapists, as supports. And I think that was one of the other reasons of having this conversation and opening that door because it is scary but it's also beautiful and it's amazing and it gives us hope that we aren't alone and the people watching or the the young kids or the older person that maybe you never felt safe of you're not alone then we love you i don't know i think safety is so complex and i i think um just seeking spaces that feel safer, do you know? And I think um, this is this moment. So my partner and I were at the grocery store and my older sister called to tell me when um, RBG died. And she called me and it almost, it chokes me up now. And I just started, I'm just weeping in the parking lot at like Costco at Polaris. And I just suddenly, I was in a space that I would identify as being kind of like predominantly white. And I just had this sensation of needing to go. Like, mm-hmm. I would, we have to get out of here, you know, and so I called my little sister who it's, it's one of her personal heroes and, you know, I called her and it was like telling this thing and it became like the fear, right? And I just, I was saying to my partner, I said, do you know, if one person's life is all it takes for me to feel as if my life doesn't hold value in a space where I pay taxes and I show up and I participate in my community, do you know that that piece, right? That, that it's one thing, do you know? Um, and sometimes I struggle, right? As, as a person who identifies as a black queer person, like I sometimes struggle with the hereafter, like it's a hustle. Do you know, there's something very, um, it feels like a lot of incrementalism, right? Like mm-hmm. if we hold out, if we hold on, if we see the good and the bad. And so sometimes in those moments where I feel this, this level of like exposure, right? Like I almost prefer the privacy of my pain you know, as a black queer person, as a person who lives with, you know, someone whose body is also, you know, feels dangerous in this world. Um, sometimes I'm like, I get angry about it. I'm like, oh man, like this is this big moment of exposure where this pain that I think I'm, I'm carrying around. You know, my partner and I were talking about, you know, we were doing the thing that I think all liberal brown queers did we were like, where can we go? <laughs> you know, we, were, we were ready. I was like, I'm no longer paying taxes to be this afraid. Uh, really, you know, we had this moment of just like complete and utter just sadness. Like, I don't know where we could go. You know, I don't know where it is that we could go that both of us would be safe at the same time. Uh-huh. And so there's this moment, I think sometimes where I try to, I try to invite some of that spirituality or some of this, this basic belief in the goodness, right, of of people and of living and of this kind of larger purpose of connection. And it's in those moments where it feels too much and I just want to like close out, you know, and I think that's one of those things that I also was taught in Catholicism, mm-hmm. right? That like your pain became very private. And so you like performed healing, you performed collective belief, but like pain was, so, I mean, there were so many toxic nonsense things going on in my own family and in all the families of all those people in my church. And so I think, to me, I think there's that relationship about, I think visibility, right, Rashi? I think you and I are saying these same things. Like, can, can I can I see other people's pain? Can I show my pain? Can there be like a collaborative space for that? And I don't know that that's something that I was taught in a religious practice. And so maybe that's that's what I'm looking for in, mm-hmm. in spiritual connection with people. And Chuck, I have to say my older sister asked me if I was queer like every couple of years. So we have this great story in our family um, because probably, I don't know, maybe like every two years or so, she would like try to like catch me off guard. I don't know what she thought would happen. Um, We'd be like walking and we were very much like a crew and she would look at me and she'd be like, are you gay? And I was like, 
no, I don't know. Like, I mean, I was always kind of like, I don't know. Like it was the least of the thing on my mind. Like we were surviving and she would always go like, it would be okay. And so she just asked <laughs> continuously throughout our entire life. So we, we have this great joke in my family, like that I also was like, I don't know, you know, it was like just this eventuality. And I was like, okay, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I like, you know, I didn't even get to come out to my queer older sibling because they were like, you cut all your hair off. Did you figure exactly. it out? We did, we, did the, we did the thing. We, we're good. That's awesome. <laughs> family. Oh, family, family. They rolled out the rainbow carpet for you all, huh? <laughs> I mean, kind of. Thanks. As much as we celebrate it. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. You know, what's interesting yeah. is, as I think, as I hear your coming out stories, and I'm, I'm truly heartwarmed that you had those experiences. I'm grateful for my friends and family of choice, because they mm -hmm. were the ones who were there first for the soft landing. Uh, I didn't come out to my immediate core family until I was 36. Uh, again, I started coming out to people slowly when I was 19, friends that I trusted, family of choice that I trusted. Uh, both of my marriages, I, I came out, they were, I was married to men both times and I came out to them before I got married. But, and so much of the deep work I've had to do was I chose them because it was the safer choice, right? And if I were to marry or partner with someone of another gender this next time around, I don't think my family would attend any kind of service, mm -hmm. even though it's that whole, we, you know, we love you, we support you, but- Just as long as. <laughs> yeah, conditionally. Yeah, yeah, and I just have to say, thank, thank God, thank goddess, praise Vishnu, praise anybody that's out there collectively who, who is in my family of choice. Because uh, this is, and I, it started with a high school guidance counselor who I had who saw me. I mean, she saw right through me. And she was just very beautiful in this space of like, it's okay mm. to be who you are. It's, it's, it's truly okay. And years later in my late thirties, when I was coming out fully and publicly, I was sharing that journey with one of my best friends from junior high and high school. And it was so cute. Cause she's like, I always figured. <laughs> and it was just very much with that smile of, and I love you just as you are. I think my spiritual journey has been about, I've had to learn to love myself as I am, which is why I'm wearing this shirt tonight. I love that. Nice. Good. <laughs> yeah, Jamie, I think, I don't, I don't know if I would have come out without my chosen family. Even having such a, an environment in which I knew it was okay, the I don't want to paint it with a right, rainbow brush, right? The, I, the amount of anxiety, the number of years it took me to still tell, right? To still it to still tell myself and to tell the people around me, um, you know, in this, the scale of horrible reactions, they certainly landed on the, the, the good end, but um, still now, I mean, just the, I feel my most spiritual when I am surrounded by trans people, when I am in, with the trans people who I love, who I've chosen to love forever, right? Those, that's the, I think that's what, like when I understood holiness was, was in those moments. Wonderful, Chuck. Thank you. I love, and you know, I think that's one of the cool things too about like being in the counseling field in one way or another of what I'm seeing. And I, Jamie and I have talked about this of like, you know, how important it is to have these conversations. One of the, it's not so much spiritual, but it was actually like some sort of educational abuse was when I was in grad school, the, there is such incredible pressure to hide who you are, to really be that white board. So clients, you know, don't feel judged and all of this, but they never talked about how destructive that can be to you. And that balance of, yes, I have an ethical to, to treat who I can, but when someone comes in spewing hatred at me and my people, <laughs> even, you know, it's like, that doesn't mean I have to accept that. And there's that, that, you know, for me, it was sort of that, that double-edged sword of it was like that religious and spiritual abuse shit that I experienced. And now professionally where I just went to grad school, I'm learning this, I'm dedicating my career and I'm supposed to shut up again. 
and it's taken me a long time to to like learn and and it's funny even the last four years have been hell and that's just me my experience um I think it's opened the doors of one of the things I put of like, I'll never go through this again. Like I'll never be silent, not even only for me, but for anyone in the LGBT community, for the kids, for the elderly, for anyone who's, who doesn't feel safe. Like I, and Jamie, you know, one of the things that is I admire so much of how you advocate and just, I mean, I know you all do, but I just know Jamie <laughs> longer. So I see what she does. Of, I, I'm not, going to be silent and I think for me that's part of my spirituality I think you know I had a conversation with someone about Jesus today of you know that that judgment piece that we had both grown up with and I said you know when I found out Jesus was hanging out with the lepers and the prostitutes I was like that's pretty cool like that's a badass spiritual leader and you know like that's who I connected to yeah And Patrick, thank you for mentioning that because one of the reasons I have not totally abandoned Christianity. So when people ask me what I am, like, what are you? Uh, My usual answer is I'm all religions because there's something from all of the major faiths I have drawn on that I really adore, uh, even though I still have a Christian identity at my core. So some would say I'm in an open relationship with Jesus, uh, which is a way I like to think of my spiritual polyamory. And a lot of my practices are very much in the spiritual but not religious realm. Like, obviously, Roshni, I'm glad you made that clarifying point that Hinduism as it's kind of traditionally practiced can be very rigid. Yet obviously in the yoga community, we've I've learned a lot of probably take what you like, but leave the rest versions of Hinduism and Buddhism, um, which, but, but it's, it has helped like, cause I feel like every spiritual path I learn about one complements the other. And I, I just love this idea from Hinduism that there is one God who manifests all these different ways or one divine presence that manifests all these different ways. And so, yeah, I'm so much of everything and, and, and benefit from so much of everything. And I really believe that teaching that all truly spiritual paths meet in the middle, that the thing we have in common is what unites us. And that, that is love and everything else is just details like jesus is a detail krishna is a detail buddha is a detail i know that's sacrilege in some circles yet it's what i've really come to believe but here's here's what i've come to love about jesus and the whole christian cult mythology or the whole christian uh story is for me i become more spiritually connected the more i embrace my humanity Because for so many years, the two felt divorced from each other. Like you can't trust your body. Your body will lead you astray, et cetera, et cetera. Temptation. Yeah. And and even in a lot of yogic and 12 step circles, there can be this whole, all this is temporary. It's, it's impermanent. It will pass, turn it over (laughs) to, to your higher power that that divine essence is who you really are. Yes. And it's, it's very much a DBT both and thing. My humanity is my divinity too. And I love in the Christian mythology that God chose to incarnate as a human being. That resonates with me. I don't believe Jesus died for my sins. That's old theology to me. But I do believe in the divinity of humanity in, in, my, in my soul that just fits. And that's what I love about Jesus the radical. Like, like you said, it just speaks to me so, 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 so much. And I, I just thank God for that because I, I feel, and, and, I'm, and if this is your path, I get it. If I would have come out of this totally embittered about my Christian experience, I don't know if I would have survived. Mm. I'll be quite honest because because growing up Christian was so core to me but I've really had to learn how to redefine it coming out has done that for me pursuing recovery has done that for me both addiction and trauma recovery and just meeting different people because the church I grew up in was so damn insulated right sweet Jesus take the wheel sweet Jesus take the wheel (laughs) yeah and to your point Jamie, um, I, I have the same sort of outlook or philosophies that all re- religions at the core, it's just like, be kind, treat people nicely, turn the other cheek. 
And I look at this, I look at it the same way, you know, as far as I know, Jesus didn't write the Bible. God did not write the Bible. God, you know, Allah did not write the Quran as far as I know. And if, you know, if you really study this stuff, you see that this is, you know, paganism we woven in there and it was largely done by Kings to be able to, you know, bring people in and, you know, embrace all of this. And it's, it's a leadership move. And now it's being taken as a, like solid facts. And some of it just doesn't apply anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need more people in the congregation. We actually have too many people in the world, you know? Um, so there's definitely things that are just no longer relevant that yeah, I used to do these speakers panels when I was in college and the religion question would always come up. And I would be like, so do you eat shrimp? Do you eat meat on Fridays? Like all these things that you are supposedly, you know, not supposed to be doing. Are you doing all that? Or are you taking this piece of, you know, a man should not lie with another man. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't mean they can't have sex standing up. So, you know, (laughs) it's your interpretation, right? I may well, have seen that, that in my <laughs> discotheques. Well, that's a whole other story. That's Friday Night Feels After Dark. Yeah. <laughs> and to rest- that point also, right, we don't account for, no one talks about translation. Exactly. No. Right? Oh it's like, gosh. you're reading the King James Bible. You're reading the, uh, the English Bible. Like, what are you, the Torah in English, right? Like, what are you, <laughs> there's not a word no. for homosexuality, right? It, right? You can't, there's no, right? That yeah. that second man was boy, right? We pretend that those yeah. those changes weren't made, and they weren't made by white men who wanted right or kings who in other countries who wanted right access to power and to to, to a set of yeah controls exactly. And to anybody who's watching this that might still be tortured by the Christian spin on this. Look up Mark Sandlin, S-A-N-D-L-I-N, Mark Sandlin. One of his classic pieces is called Clobbering Biblical Gay Bashing. What Chuck was saying about translation, he decimates any Christian argument that has been hurled against you about being queer simply by looking at translation and then also bringing in some things around context. So that's mm-hmm. important. And Roshni, I just laughed because when you were talking about, you know, did God write the Bible? To ta, 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 you know? And I'm like, gee, what we're dealing with here is the ancient version of, if I read it on the internet, it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure. What was that thing, to, that, that commercial? <laughs> when the guys, I'm a French model. Yep. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> And I met this real in my travels. I, I met this this really amazing uh, Jewish uh, clinical counselor who was born in Israel, uh, identifies as Israeli, and she she practices what she calls uh, a pre mosaic Judaism. Mm. And she's like, we see the men who wrote the Torah as a bunch of traumatized men. So considering that context, we look at the bigger picture. And I just loved that. And I, and I think of what, what, what uh, Elishiva said about that. And I apply that to so many of these other spiritual debates and puzzles. How many people who made these decisions were doing it out of a trauma reaction? Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, I just think about like my mother's attachment to religion was a trauma reaction, do you know? And so I think sometimes I think about the Catholic church, which is my own experience. So I don't always need the the bad person to be Christians because I disagree and you know I mean I think we can spread out bad person around you know <laughs> there's, no, there's enough <laughs> Funny to go around folks there's lots of blood <laughs> on the hands but you know sometimes I think um you know I was thinking Jamie when you were talking about coming out to your family and what that looks like do you know I had um my personal story is that both of my parents have passed away and so they both of my parents died when I was in my 20s and it, it was it was its own beast you know just like death and and you know both of my parents are quite young and so I got, I really came out into a new self, do you know, like, and, I, and so I sometimes think about Catholicism as a parent, do you know, and it was very much something, it was like maybe my more stable parent, <laughs> you know, um, it, was, it was my mom's best co-parent in some ways, and, and so sometimes I, I think about it, you know, when it's almost like when you figure out who your parents really were in the world and you start to become curious about how they get to these places and how they make certain decisions and you know sometimes when I think about religion as a thing you know I almost experience it as kind of like that detachment from 
a family of origin or um, you know kind of finding new family and finding new new language to think about spirituality or or finding space for permission just to say like yeah I don't I don't think that's something that was really like literacy biased or you know when you start to understand Catholicism as rituals of like smoke and bells and because people couldn't read you know and so they needed to signal folks when to move and, and what to do and how to participate in a service that was conducted in a language that they didn't understand. You know, I mean, this, this complexity of it. Um, and so I, I think about religion as like a family. You know, I think Chuck, to your point where you're talking about it being very relational because my experience was very relational. It was like, it was, it was a family. And I think, I think sometimes letting go of those things, I think sometimes I have grief around that um, because some of the ritual is so beautiful and it feels very familiar and comfortable. And, you know, when I hear folks around holiday times talking about going back to, you know, like your, your racist or your transphobic grandma's house, because it just feels, you know, people are willing to surrender all of themselves just to go someplace that feels familiar. And I, I find that, you know, throughout my life when things have been tough, I sometimes feel that pull, you know, where I, I know mm -hmm. that I would have to surrender all of myself to go back into that building. Um, and I couldn't go there with the people who love me. And it would be, it would be like a weird exchange. You know, I'd be so alone just to be close to, to that relationship. And I, I think particularly around the holiday time, um, that occurs to me, my sisters and I, who are like this fierce posse of, of family now, we were talking about, we had a sister call. My older sister said something towards the end. She goes, well, we're all being bad Catholics because no one's doing the advent wreath. You know, and so we were kind of jazzing each other about what our decorations were and, and just that idea that we've all kind of, you know, we're all, that's kind of another, another part of who we are. But anyway, that's a long thought. I was just thinking about what everyone was saying. And yeah. yeah. Perfectly timed thought. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's funny because one of the things that I took away from being Catholic was serving. Like that's what I loved of helping other, you know, all the, I think Jamie, you had said it, or I can't remember um, about whether you could leave that being bittered. And I, I could with other experiences, but then I had to do that spiritual internal work of loving and forgiving myself and healing myself and knowing I did the best I, I could. And what did I get from that? I learned that I do believe in the power of love and it's not this weak, you know, sugary thing. It's, it's a force and it has saved my life numerous times. It saves other people. It's, it's what we do on a daily basis. Like we don't, I remember I was teaching a counseling class once and I said, if you don't love your clients, there's something wrong. And they just stared at me. I said, well, what the hell do you think you're doing? <laughs> like we love our clients. Like that's, that's who we are. And Lisa, I think I can relate to that too of, you know, with so much scandal in, in the Catholic church too, that hurt my heart. Um, and I, I always love like going to churches or when I travel or cathedrals or places of worship, because even when there's shit energy, whatever may happen, like yeah. there's so much love, like from people who really believe in the love and in the beauty of mm -hmm. what they were taught about that community. Mm -hmm. um, and I think around Christmas time, that's when I blare those songs and I'm like, I let the spirit speak through me through song. I may not be the best singer in the world, but I remember I watched this episode flashback of Touched by an Angel where Monica was jealous because she couldn't sing. And Della Reese like called her on it and said, <laughs> you know, the saying is make a joyful noise, not a beautiful one. I was like, preach, preach. <laughs> so... That opened a door that never will shut. So <laughs> of just that love of that, you know, love is the answer and that will, will guide me and heal me. And, you know, I'm going to make mistakes and it's about standing up yeah. and learning from them. And, and that humility yeah. is really important to me in my spirituality. Yeah, I feel very connected to that. Thanks for saying it. That feels yeah. true, yeah. And if you ever need to do a musical, you know, like I, before we end, I know we're running out of time. I just have a quick Catholic question. Did any of you ever hear sing the song "I Am a C H"? I am a C. I am a C H. I am a C H R I S T. And I have C H R I S T. L I V E E R N A L L Y. Both the from both the Catholic and the Protestant side. About the whole collection and I just did a comedy routine about this last night how the music kept me sane 
I, the, the theology was garbage and something inside of me knew that, but at least I got to sing and dance and a lot of these kinds <laughs> of choreography. And that's probably the reason I'm still here. Yeah. Well, as we wind down on this very beautiful and festive and loving Friday night feels, I want to thank all of you once again for coming. And I hope that you come back again. Friday night feels is your home now. And to everyone who watched, you know, we hope that you enjoyed it and that it was helpful. And, and once again, you know, we're with you. And I hope you all have a beautiful weekend and stay safe and warm out there. Take care. Thanks, Patrick. Take Bye. care. Thank you so much, Patrick.